Okay, uh, good morning. Today's daf is daf Kuf Yur Aleph, 111. Um, today's shoes is Ben Leib Idol and Baruch and Baruch Ben Eliyahu. May their memory be a blessing. Um, we're going to go from the fifth last line of Kuf Yur Amud Beis, 110b. So the remember we mentioned that yesterday we were discussing. Uh, Certain things you take for refuers and different refuers, and one of the things we mentioned that you can take for um, jaundice is kois ikrin, or two ingredients of the of kois ikrin. Now the Gemara says if you take it for jaundice, it will make the person sterile. So now the Gemara is going to go into: Are you allowed to? Is one allowed to make themselves or make another person uh, sterile? So he says. So that's what uh, we're going to go into now. So it says leyar kuna trin besichro. If someone has jaundice, they take two of the ingredients with uh, beer, with shikra, and it will make them sterile. Is this permitted for hard tanya? We learned in a bright seminar in the series for Adam Shuhu. Also, how do we know that making a man sterile uh, or castrating a man is also? Talmud Lomar, the Torah says, You shall not do such a thing in your land. Now, this is actually a very... It's, we're just bringing the last line of the drosha, but basically the build-up is that's discussing, that pasuk is discussing korbanos. You're not allowed to make, uh, you're not allowed to have a korban that has, a, and it speaks about uh, um, a mol for kosos v'nokut v'koros. If uh, it has uh, crushed testicles or severed testicles or detached testicles, etc. A whole list of uh, of Things of animal of so this is regarding korbanos again a korban has to be a tam animal an unblemished animal and it can't be castrated or have any of these injuries then it comes along but it says in your land you shall not do this now what do you mean you're telling me that only in a only in Eretz Yisrael I'm not allowed to have a animal for a korban that's castrated or I'm not allowed to castrate an animal. Only laws that are connected to the land are limited to Eretz Yisrael. So this issue that it says, Lota Subochem, you shall not make them, you shall not make any animals castrated, can't be limited to Eretz Yisrael. So when it says, Va'artzachem, first point is teaching is over Eretz, any animal on land. You're not allowed to castrate, even if it's an animal that cannot be a korban, a cat, a dog, a pig, anything that even if it can't be a korban, you're not allowed to castrate it. And then but then I could have just said over Eretz. But the fact that it says over Artzachem and in you, well your land, but in you, we learn from there also in people. So the Drosha is you're not allowed to make a person a serious, you're not allowed to make a person um sterile. Loisasu Divre Yeah, and it explains Lotasu Divre Ribihanina Rabbi Hanun explains, you shall not make a person sterile. So the Gemara, so that's our question is, how can a person drink this kois ikrin, which will make themselves sterile, when that's the history in the Torah? So the Gemara answers, no, that's where you intend to make the person sterile. Here it just happens, by the way. The one explanation of this line is, maybe the issue of making someone sterile is only when you're doing the act directly on the reproductive organs. But here where you're just taking a drink to remove jaundice and it's not really, and it's without intent to make the person sterile and you're not acting on the organs, it's almost, it's indirect, there it would be permitted. 
And where do we get such a thing? Where do we get to make such a distinction? What should be the difference? At the end of the day, that person's becoming sterile, so it should be asur. So the Omar Rabbi Yochanan Harot says she yisari's tarnagol yutul karbaloso. If someone wants to make their rooster a sterile, cut off his crest. Umesarto me'elov. And then he will become sterile. So we see Rabbi Yochanan says, you're allowed to make your rooster sterile. Again, you're not acting on the reproductive organs. You're cutting off the crown on top of its head. And that makes it sterile, which is fine. So he says, automatically, by itself. So, Ramos No. Ramashi says, the explanation there is, it's out of the rooster's arrogance. I, when you remove a rooster's crest, it feels a huge lack of pride. You've removed its, uh, it, it was very proud of its crest, and now it becomes uh, uh, depressed, and therefore it refuses to procreate. But it doesn't actually make it sterile. So, again, where are we holding this, Gamora? We wanted to suggest that it's also to make a person sterile. So how can you take this koisekrit as a cure for jaundice? So we said, no, nah, when it happens automatically, then it's fine. Aye, it's not your goal, but it just happens, then it's fine. And we brought a proof from Rabbi Yochanan that how he says you can make roosters sterile. He says, no, that's not the correct understanding. When you cut off a rooster's crest, it doesn't make it sterile. It just makes the rooster shamed and depressed that it's not going to go around and procreate anymore, but not that it's actually sterile. So that's why you would be allowed to do it. So, it's of, um, so Ella Basaurus. So this that we allowed someone to take a kois iskrin must be someone who is already castrated. They're already sterile. They already can't have children. And therefore, you would be allowed to take this kois ikrin. But Hainachinami, someone who could still have children, we would not allow them to take kois ikrin. So comes along, the Gemara says, said in to Rabbi Yochanan, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Now we're jumping to the Korban Mincha. We know that the Korban Mincha flower offering that you offer on the Mizbech is not allowed to be Chometz. There are like two exceptions to where it can be Chometz, but the general rule is it's not allowed to be Chometz. Yes, Basil. Not just before. Uh, what about an S? An S is by, by, uh, by, um, Crossing, I think it's a horse and a donkey. Yeah. You get an S, which is sterile. But are you actually doing something? That's actual, that's actual sterility. Look, firstly, I'm not sure if a Jew's allowed to actually crossbreed a horse and a, what, what do you say, a horse and a donkey? A ton, a ton is yeah. But a Jew's not necessarily allowed to. Sorry? Jew, not an S. Sorry, I'm not a um, a Jew's not necessarily allowed to crossbreed a hosender, what? A hosender donkey to get this mule. A Jew's not allowed to do kilayim. But even if he does, it's so far removed. You're not actually castrating any animal there or doing anything to an animal. You're crossbreeding two animals, and the result is an animal that can't have children. But you're not actually doing anything to that. To that uh, but I'm saying you're not actually doing anything to that mule. Okay. Yeah. So the mule is, is used often. I mean, in, in, it's, it's, uh, it's like a very common animal. Yeah, I'm not, but I'm saying uh, more problematic in my mind because, as I said, you're not doing anything to the mule. 
But more problematic in my mind is how you get the mule because there's an issue of kilaim of crossbreeding. Okay, but that's a different discussion. Okay, now the, the now we're going to show by the there's a whole discussion if an animal if a korban or an animal already has a mum like a bechor are you allowed to put another mum in it? Okay, that's a machloek case. However, everyone agrees that a korban minchi is not allowed to be chometz. Now it doesn't matter whether you knead it and make the dough chometz or you're the one who um, lays it out into the shapes. The, separates it into the pieces, or you're the one who bakes it, each person who works with this with this mincha uh, that is chometz is liable. And we're going to, so we're going to see it inside now, but we're going to say, and that's the same thing we're going to show by, uh, by animals and or people. Even someone who is already castrated, you're not allowed to do a greater act of castration even though theoretically you're not doing anything. So that's the proof. And again, so it says, that someone who works with the Chometz Mincha after a Chometz Mincha, that is liable, as the post says, it says you're not allowed to bake a Mincha as a Chometz, and you're not allowed to make a Mincha as a Chometz. Now the obvious question, if you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to make a Mincha Chometz, let it become leaven, then obviously you're not allowed to bake it when it's leaven. So why is it singling it out? So Rashi points out, this is the drosha that we have in uh, um, in Menachos and Bukharos. Um but um, the, the, that, it's coming to highlight that even if you're the one who just baked it, it was already chomet, but you baked it as chomet, you did a separate isur, a separate forbidden thing of making a mincha that is chomet, and so to any part, any stage of the mincha. Okay, and then it says, And so to someone who castrates, someone who's already castrated, he is liable. Shenemar, as the Pasuk says, Umauch for kasus for nakud for karus. It says regarding um, this animals, um, so this animals' um, testicles. It says if they're bruised or crushed or severed or cut. Now, obviously, it's discussing offering this animal as a korban. As we said, this possible applies to people as well. Now, the Gemara asks: Imal korus If you're liable for just cutting the testicles, that's cutting the. I think it's the the sperm ducts connecting the testicles, um, connected to the testicles, I'll not to call completely severing the testicles, obviously you can't. So why does the Pasuk have to say you're liable for cutting and you're liable for just cutting and you're liable also for severing? It says, to tell us that if you do the act of severing after they've already been cut, you have. Now, even though theoretically this animal is already castrated, or this person also, they cut and they can't have children. To go along and do another act of cirrus, to cut it, to sever the testicles completely, would be also forbidden. So that can't be. So again, we start off with the question, how can you take koisel ikrin? So you said it must be talking about someone who's already sterile. No, someone who's already sterile can't take koisel ikrin. He's still not allowed to do a further act of sterilization so, or castration. So el bezoke, we must be speaking about an old person. I... An old person is out of the frame of making them sorrows. You can't have say, Here you can't forbid it because of making someone a sorrows after his sorrows. Because old age is not 
the same as sterilize as castration or sterilization. So basically, if I understand Tosis correctly, is you're, you can't, someone who theoretically is of the age that they could have children, that's a problem to sterilize them and do any act of sterilization or castration, even if they already are. However, when we come to an old person who straight can't have children because he's too old, well, then there would be no issue of castration. He says, the Gemara is not so happy with that. He says, Rabbi Yochanan, this is elsewhere, but Rabbi Yochanan says, I had these medicines and they cured me from my impotency and I was like a young man again. I, they definitely, by men, there definitely is a possibility to restore their usefulness and therefore you can't castrate an elderly person. So we're back to our question. Who can take this kosher recurrence? So the Gemara says, Ella Isha. We must be speaking about a woman. Yeah. Sounds like there's no issue of making a woman sterile and doing something to her. She's allowed to take this kosher ikrin, this drink that makes her sterile. She would be allowed to take a certain, and, she, and you would probably be, based on this Gemara, it sounds like you're allowed to do something, that an act that actually... Um, makes her sterile. Um, let's just read a bit further and we'll discuss it a bit more. He So this all gets you around. What we discussed here really gets you around the issue of Remember we said you're not allowed to do an act that makes someone sterile. So, but there's actually another problem. And there's a mitzvah of Puravu. So that's what Rashi points out. The women do not have the mitzvah of Puravu because the language in the Posuk is um, Hashem uh, blessed the people. Hashem blessed them. And conquer it. And they learn at Rosh that only men are the ones who go out to war. So this mitzvah of Puravu is on those who conquer, on men, and not on women. And therefore, that's why there would be no problem. This is all. Rabbi Yochanan ben Broker to Amar al Shneim, who Oimeb on both of them, it says, Vayavarech Hoysom Elokim, Vayoyme Elohim, Pruravu Hashem blessed them and told them to be fruitful and mouthful. Hashem is clearly speaking to men and women. Michael and Memar, how would you explain it according to him? Bezekaina Inani Akara. Maybe we're speaking about an elderly woman who, elderly woman, can't have children unless there's a miracle. Like we know about Sarah Imenu, elderly woman can't have children unless it's a miracle or someone born barren. Akara, someone is barren. So those would be where she's allowed to take this close ikrin. So again, we've quite severely limited. We started off with our Gomorrah of when can you take this close ikrin? It's also to make someone sterile. And we basically came out just about in all cases by a man, definitely. And even by a woman in many cases, it depends who you learn like it could be a problem. Um, so yeah, we must be when we discuss taking this close ikrin for jaundice, it must be discussing an elderly woman or a woman who's an akara, a woman who's born barren. Yes. The rabbi, so there's a big discussion here. There's a, there's a lot. No, so there's a lot to go into here. Um, from Al Gomorrah, it sounds very much like it's a hundred percent permitted. Um, for a woman to castrate is like there's not such an issue. 
unless you hold that a woman's chav in Pruravu, which we don't, we old women or not, so it would sound like that. But from the Rambam and other Rishonim, they seem to learn that it's still also, there might not be the Isur of Malkus, but there's still an Isur Doraisa for a woman to castrate herself. Someone who make a distinction, maybe it depends whether you're taking something that is like a side effect, like this Kois Ikrin, you're taking it for jaundice and a side effect is that it makes it sterile, or maybe it's only, the Isur is only if you actually act, do something to the reproductive organs. Um, there's lots of chuvas. Um, if a woman has many, um, some, there's certain procedures, I don't, I mean, the one chuva of Ramosha is quite old, so I don't know if they still are, but they want, they do certain procedures to prevent cancer later on in women. So let's say you have a woman who has a few children, and she wants to have some procedures done to prevent cancer later on, or certain other illnesses that come later on, but they make her sterile. Is she allowed to do them? And so those are big discussions. One second, those are big discussions in the Poiskim, whether, when and whether a woman's allowed to do these things that make her sterile. Obviously with a man, it's also very, very complicated. With a man, we see there's more problems. Um, and part of the discussion is seeing the connection between these mitzvahs and Puravu. Are they only connected to Puravu or are they independent? I mean, as we've mentioned, there's two mitzvahs. There's the one mitzvah, Puravu, be fruitful and mouthful, have children. But that might only be relevant to men. And the other mitzvah of not allowed to make a person sterile. So you've got to get around those two. You've got to see the connection between those two. And as I said, a lot of other issues. Vets, it's also a problem with vets. Vets are not allowed to, as we learned, this is applies to animals. I mean, the primary discussion is by animals. We've extended through Joshua to people, but by animals also. So it's a huge problem to take your animals to a vet to be sterilized. People often want to do that with their cats or their dogs or uh, things like that. Um, so it's a problem for a Jew to ask a non-Jew to do it. That's a discussion in the Poskim. And a further problem is if the vet is Jewish, he's not allowed to do it. So what do you do? That's one point. And then um, just very recently, very interestingly, a question arose. If a dog has tis- like t- um, another dog had uh, testicular cancer, so are you allowed to have, is the vet allowed to remove remove it or operate there when it will cause him to be castrated? Because that's the problem. It's the positive says, you're not allowed to castrate an animal. But here it's for the animal's good. Your motivation's not for and you, you don't even you, like it's anomiscaven. You don't want to make it sterile. I mean it's a psychration, but it's anomiscaven. You don't necessarily want to make it sterile, but it is going to be sterile. So that was a big question. Um, Rav Klicksberg, I know, looked into it recently and he actually came out in that scenario it was permitted. But again, before you go through any of these procedures, these are things you'd have to ask a very uh, big Talmud Chochom. Um, again, when you can do procedures to women and especially and men that would cause them to be sterile and even with animals in its own right, it's a complicated halachic issue. Yes, Basil. Now, so that was my question. Was this does it only apply to Shabbos or to oh. any mitzvahs? That's what I was going to ask huh. you. So that in its own right is an interesting discussion that comes up again on this page. So I'll mention it, if, I'll mention it a little bit, a bit further down this page. Let's go on in the duff. Um, sure. so, so the next Mishra says, remember, we're carrying on with taking refu on Shabbos. Remember, the general rule is you're not allowed to do something that's for refu on Shabbos. It's exera that you might come to make medicine and grind the ingredients. Um, so the general rule is anything that is the, the very higher general rule is anything that is clearly for a four is also if you could be doing it because you're eating or something like that or to 
cool off in water or something, then it would be mutar. So this is If someone has sore teeth, he's not allowed to sip vinegar, but if he dips it in his food or his bread in vinegar like he normally does and eats it normally, well then if it heals, it heals. It's fine. I, he's allowed to use vinegar in a normal way, even though his intent is to for a foie, because it doesn't look like he's taking it for a foie. If he has a little pain in his loins, he's not allowed to smear oil or vinegar there. But he can smear oil. Because oil, people, even during the week, people put oil on their skin. So he's allowed to put skin, oil on his skin. It doesn't look like he's doing it for a foot. The loy shemen varied, however, not rose oil. Rose oil was very expensive and very rare. So the only reason he would be putting rose oil on his skin would be... Um, would be for a four. Says, However, princes who always who are wealthy and uh, full of luxuries who always use rose water, rose oil, can rub it on their skin because they do that even during the weekday, not for a four. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, "Call Yisrael All ones that all of all Jews are b'nei malachim. All Jews are kings, and therefore all Jews can put the, this rose water, you can't come along and say, to this Jew it's Osir and to this Jew it's Mutar. If it's a blanket rule, if it's Mutar to Benayim a lot, to princes, it's Mutar to all Jews. Okay, the Gemara says, Romile Rav Acha Aricha, to who Rav Acha Ba'popa Rav Acha, the tall who is actually Rav Acha Ba'popa, raised a contradiction, Rebbe Yavu, before Rebbe Yavu. Tanan, we learned in our Mishnah, HaChoy Shesh B'Shain, of Lo Yigmo Bohemes HaChoymetz, L'Meimre D'Choymetz Ma'ali L'Shinayim. Our Mishnah says, if you have sore teeth, you're not allowed to sip vinegar, I, because vinegar is a cure, but we see that vinegar is good to the tooth. But there's a pasuk which says, A lazy person to its employer is like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. We see vinegar is bad for your teeth. It says, No difficulty. It depends how it's made. If it's made from, from one that's from unripe grapes, then it's harmful for your teeth. If it's made, the vinegar is made from regular wine, then it's actually very good for your teeth. It says, all you could say, actually we're speaking about regular vinegar, but the one is where he has an injury and the one is where he does not. If he has an injury, the vinegar will help. The toothache or the sore in his mouth. But if he does not have an injury, it's actually bad for his teeth that will weaken his teeth. I mean, and that we know, we know there are many medications. If you're sick, take them. If you're not sick, don't take them and they can be harmful for you. So that's, that's how we're treating this vinegar. Then we said, you're not allowed to sip vinegar. That's the general rule. It says, We have a price which says, you're not allowed to sip this vinegar and spit it out. Because that would clearly be why you're sipping it for a foot. But you can sip it and swallow it. They use vinegar a lot as a condiment. So if you're sipping it and swallowing it, it kind of looks like, you, uh, like you're having food. So, but we have this contradiction. Our Mishnah says you're not allowed to, and the Bryce says you are allowed to. It says, When our Mishnah says you're not allowed to sip vinegar, that's speaking about sipping and spitting it out. But at the end of the day, 
If you would sip it and swallow it, even our Mishnah would permit it. Rava, um, uh, Rava comes along and says, No, I feel you're No, it's even our Mishnah that says it's also is even speaking about swallowing it. But the distinction is, It depends whether you're doing it before you would dip the food in it and eat it. And here's after you dip the food in it and eat it. Uh, if you're sitting there about to start lunch and you have a little bit of a few sips of vinegar, that's fine because clearly you're going to do it. You're doing it because people think you're not only doing it for a four, you're doing it to, as an appetizer. However, if you already eaten and cleared the table and then you start sipping vinegar, everyone's going to know the only reason you're doing it is for a four. No, but according to Rava, if something is permitted before Tibble, it would be before you eat, it would be for it would also be permitted after you eat. Because you know Rava holds for this principle. But very simply, the logical the logic is Rashi says you can't have something that's Osur on half of Shabbos and Mutar for the other half of Shabbos. It's either Osur to do on Shabbos or it's Mutar to do on Shabbos. When do we ever find something that's also on half of Shabbos and Mutar on the rest of Shabbos. So that's what Slavs is for. Now what's this thing of Rava saying Hoyle? So this is tying into another sugya, but basically what it means Hoyle is Rava says you're allowed to go to Mikvah on Shabbos even though it looks like Metake Mone. Let's say someone was Tomei and they wanted to eat Kodjim whatever, so they wanted to go to Mikvah. So, you're not, so you, would, you would say that there's a Zayra that they shouldn't be allowed to go to Mikvah because it's Mataka and it looks like they're fixing themselves. It's like fixing a Kli. So it comes along Robin and says, no, you could say on Shabbos that, what, why is he going into the Mikvah? To cool down, to refresh himself. And that's permitted. So therefore, since he could be doing it to refresh himself, we allow him to do it on Shabbos. What about Yom Kippur? So Robert says, and this is all an explanation of Bryce, but it's elsewhere, that just as we allow him to go to Mikvah on Shabbos, we allow him to go to Mikvah on Yom Kippur. Now the difficulty with that, you're not allowed to go in water to refresh yourself on Yom Kippur. For a mitzvah you would be allowed to, but to refresh yourself, you would not be allowed to. So no, Rava holds ha'il. Rava holds, since we permit it on Shabbos, we would permit it on Yom Kippur. Again, you're right, on Shabbos, the reason we permit it is because Granted, it's Metakain, it's fixing the person, it doesn't look like Metakain. But on Yom Kippur, it clearly is Metakain, because he wouldn't be allowed to be doing it to cool off or to refresh himself. Um, still, Robert says, Ha'il. And the logic behind that is, Yom Kippur is stricter than Shabbos. Um, Yom Kippur is stricter, sorry, Shabbos is stricter than Yom Kippur regarding Malacha. Shabbos is an Isus Gila and Yom Kippur is only Isus Kari. So since we allow it on Shabbos, we'll definitely also allow it. But that's the Ho'il, Rava holds for Ho'il. And therefore, if Rava holds for Ho'il, he would say, just as it's permitted before the meal to sip vinegar, he should say it's permitted after the meal to sip the vinegar. So he says, and now it explains. So Omar Rava like immediately the Shabbos. Sorry, we Yom Kippurim also. Rava said, "There's nothing that we would permit on Shabbos and forbid on Yom Kippur." However, Shabbos, sorry, we Yom Kippurim Arishami. Sorry, since we allow someone to go to mikvah to purify themselves on Shabbos, we will also allow them to go to mikvah on Yom Kippur. That's where we see Rava holds for this concept of Ho'il. It Says Harar by Rava Mehach. So you're right. Rava had to retract from his explanation of our Mishnah. 
Again, this that he said, our Mishnah makes a difference. Is it before the meal or after the meal when you sip in the vinegar? He can't say that. How do you know that this is what he retracted from? Maybe he retracted from the concept of ho'il. Maybe he agreed. No, maybe he says, actually, we do make distinctions. It can be permitted for some of Shabbos and also for the rest. And it can be permitted for Shabbos and also on Yom Kippur. How do we know that he didn't retract from that? It says, don't think that. The Tanya, as we learned in a Brisa, Anyone, there's a price which says explicitly, if you're obligated to go to mikveh, you can do tvila normally, whether it's Tisha B'Av or whether it's Yom Kippur. Okay, so that's how Robert, so Robert definitely holds for Hoyle, and therefore he can't explain the Mishnah as Edith, he would have to explain it as a buyer. Again, you would never be allowed to sip and swallow vinegar. That's the case. That's also because that's what, sorry, you'd never be allowed to sip and spit out vinegar because that's clearly for a foot. But you would be allowed to sip and swallow vinegar. That's how we resolve the contradiction between the Mishnah and the Brisa, and Rava would have to agree with Abai on that. Then we said, We said, if someone has a pain in their loins, they're, allowed to, they're not allowed to say wine or vinegar, but they can spread oil. And not Shem and Vered. says, That you're allowed to spread this rose oil on his... Uh, Rabbi Shimon says, Any Jew is allowed to spread rose oil on their thighs. Now, the Lord says, Are you telling me that Rav holds like... Rabbi Shimon... Said in the name of Rav. So this is Rav. This cloth stopper of a barrel. You're not allowed to fix it in the barrel on Yom Tov. Now why not? So Rashi says the issue is because of schita. When you squeeze that, when you're using the stopper, this cloth stopper, in the barrel, when you squeeze it back in the hole, you're going to be squeezing out the wine. Schitter. And even though you don't have intent for the schitter, we see he doesn't hold like Rabbi Shimon, who says that something that is not with intent is permitted. And we take for granted that Rav always holds like Rabbi Shimon, and we see here clearly that Rav does not hold like Rabbi Shimon. Again, when you're putting this cloth in the barrel, your intent is to block the barrel, which is a mutar act. Turns out you're actually doing schita, so that's a dover shaynis kavin, Rabbi Shimon should say it's mutar. And Rav there says it's also, so we see clearly you're not allowed to. So the Gemara answers now. But he he I feel Rabbi Shimon moide the Abaya verovet the Amri Tavayu moide Rabbi Shimon v'psik reisha v'lo yomos. No, Rabbi Shimon would agree in that case that it's also because it's a psik reisha. We've seen this a few times. If the ain't that act you don't have intent for is definitely going to happen, like here when you squeeze this cloth into the wine or take it out, it's definitely going to squeeze out the wine. It's definitely going to happen. Then it would be also. So, so we so so it's a psikration. Therefore, even Rabbi Shimon would agree it's also, and therefore we can say Rav Paskins like Rabbi Shimon. Oh, Rav Barashi, Rav Barashi said name of Rav Halacha Rabbi Yehuda. 
Rav Chana Barami Omar Shmuel Halacha Krebi Shimon. Rav says the Halacha is like Krebi Yehuda, and Rav Shmuel says that, and they said in the name of Shmuel that the Halacha is like Krebi Shimon. Rav Chia Baravi Masnilo Beloy Gavri. He taught it directly. Rav Omar Halacha Krebi Yehuda. Shmuel Omar Halacha Krebi Shimon. That Rav and Shmuel argued. Rav said the Halacha is like Krebi Yehuda. That Tov Shani Miskaven is also, or in our Mishnah. And Rav said no. Sorry, Rav said the Halacha is like Krebi Yehuda. And and Shmuel said it's like Rabbi Shimon. But again, our issue is that here, Rav said it is... Um, Rav said the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon. Again, Rabbi Shimon was the one that said any Jew can spread rose oil on their loins if they saw. Because all Jews are B'nai Malachim. But again, how could Rav Paskin like Rabbi Shimon when Rav never Paskins like Rabbi Shimon? That's the assumption we're going on. So it's Elo Amar Rather, Rav says, Aniv targamina. Me and the lion of the group explained as follows. Umanu, who is the lion of the group? Rabbi Chiyabar Avin. Rabbi Chiyabar Avin. And how did they explain it? Halacha Rabbi Shimon me tamay. The halacha is like Rabbi Shimon. You can, any Jew can use rose oil, but not for the reason of Rabbi Shimon. So the Gemara asks, "My halacha Rabbi Shimon v'lav mitamai." What do you mean the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon and not, but not for his reason? Says Eli, "My halacha Rabbi Shimon to sharu v'lav mitamai to ilu Rabbi Shimon sava masi v'rav sava loy masi." Says maybe you want to say that he permits it like Rabbi Shimon, but not because Rabbi Shimon permits it, even though it heals. But Rav. Says no, it's, it doesn't heal and it's still also. I Rabbi Shimon holds why you're allowed to use this rose oil because you can't say some Jews are allowed to and some Jews are not allowed to. So therefore, we're saying it's permitted to everyone. That's what Rabbi Shimon holds. Rav holds it's permitted because it's not a refuah. That can't be. Tiilu Rav sova masi v'Rav v'tsova Rav lo masi v'homenik tani b'nei melachim sachin al kamim achem shemen vered mishal demasi. Even the Tanakama said, king princes can smear this oil on their skin because they do it anyway on the weekday, implying that it is a refuah that princes use it as regular oil, rose oil as regular oil. Therefore, it would be also. So that can't be. It can't be that Rav holds that it's not a refuah. So, Ella halacha Rabbi Shimon, it must be what Rav saying, halacha is like Rabbi Shimon, just shori that it's permitted. V'lav mitamei, but not for the same reason as Rabbi Shimon. De'ilu Rabbi Shimon, sovar achal kav shori, Rabbi Shimon holds, it's always permitted. Again, for the basics for it, we've said, um, even though it's a cure, since some Jews are allowed to use it, because they use it even on the weekday, not for a refuah, everyone can use it even for a refuah. That's Rabbi Shimon, but that's not what Rav holds like. It says, If this rose oil is common, that everyone uses it all the time, not only as a refuah, then you'd be allowed to use it. But if it's rare, like the case of the Mishnah, that only B'nai Melochim would use it, then Rav would hold its Asur. And in Rav's town, rose oil was very common. So basically what we're saying is when we say Rav, Rav Paskins like Rabbi Shimon, is Rav, when, his, when anyone from his town asked him, can you use rose oil as a cure on Shabbos? He said yes. But the reason he said yes was because everyone always used rose oil just like everyone often uses moisturizer. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't for a fua uniquely, and therefore on Shabbos you can use it, even if you're using it for a fuah. Okay, there's a very, this long toastless on the side here, it's a very fascinating toastless, he goes into what's the issue of schita, what's the problem with putting this 
cloth stopper in the barrel and squeezing out. So it seems that two primary concerns of schitta, there might actually be three, what, yeah, let's say three. One is mafarek, it's kind of like threshing. That's a bit hard to say because, yeah, but threshing, um, which is similar, I guess, to getting the juice out of uh, olives, etc., or grapes, um, olives or grapes. And another possibility they bring is washing. When you squeeze the wine out of this, it's washing. And Tosos used that as a springboard to discuss a few interesting halachas with washing. You know that rinsing something is the first stage of washing. And getting some, so getting something wet should be Osir and Shabbos. And he discusses how come there are a few cases in Shabbos where we see it mentions you're allowed to go through water, etc., um, so he says, okay, those must be cases where they all where they were clean clothes. So there's no din of washing them. And then he, he discussed it further. But the one interesting halacha that comes out from this toishos is, uh, well, one of the interesting halachas that come out from this toishos is you're allowed to do something derech lichloch, ein dirtying. How are you allowed to wash your hands and then dry them on a towel? You're wetting the towel. Isn't that the starting process of cleaning the towel? He says, no, because you're dirtying it. Or a napkin at the table. You, if you have a cloth napkin... So you wipe your hands on it not to clean it, but to dirty it, then it would actually be fine. Okay, there's a lot more to go into that, but uh, let's go on. Uh, yeah, so Hadron Allah Shmoine Shrotzim, Hadron Allah Shmoine Shrotzim, Hadron Allah Shmoine Shrotzim. Just regarding Aina Miskaving, it's a, it's a discussion how far we apply it, but we apply it by all other mitzvahs. Sorry, I should have meant, I meant, yeah, I meant to bring it up at the end of the discussion there, because we say you're not allowed to take the Kois Ikrin. You're not allowed to take the kois ikrin, but it sounds like only on Shabbos because of refuah. The question is, you should never be allowed to take it. Or what about Eno Miskaven? And there the Rishonim touch on Eno Miskaven. And we actually paskin that Eno Miskaven applies by the rest of the Torah as well. We find it by discussions of shatness and things like that, where you're doing an act for a totally different reason. It would be mutar. It's a whole question in itself, how it applies to the rest of the Torah. Many say that Rabbi Shimon is more lenient by the rest of the Torah, but we much stricter, sorry, more lenient on Shabbos because Shabbos requires Meleches Machsheves, but we more strict during for regarding other mitzvahs. But there are definitely times when Eino Misgavein, um we would we would apply it by the rest of the Torah. I don't, I don't remember the exact principles of when and how. Case. Okay, new parak. We're now going to discuss the issue of kosher umatir, tying and untying. Where in the Mishnah did we find tying or untying? So, the, the one, the primary place was net to trap the chilazon. So there, so that's the laws of tying and untying. So it says, "Ba'eluk shorim shechayvim alehem." The following are knots that you liable on Shabbos. I that would be a issue derived from kosher hagmalim v'kosher hasafanim. Uh, Camel driver's not, and a sailor's not. And just when you would be chayav for tying them, you would be chayav if you untied them. Rabbi Meir says, Rabbi Meir says, Any time you could undo a knot with one hand, you're not liable for it. My kesher hagmalim v'kesher hasafanim. What's this? Camel driver's knot and this sailor's knot that we're talking about. So, maybe it's the knot that you tie a string to its nose ring. 
the kitcha de kachi, the astrida, or the string, the rope that you tie to the bow, the, to the ring at the end of the bow to attach it to the shore. Hi, Keshish, Anishal Kaimu, that's not a permanent knot. I, what we're discussing is camels had rings in their noses, and you would have a rope tied to that ring for to lead the camel or to tie the camel up to the pole, etc. But that's not a permanent knot. That you sometimes tie that rope into the camel's nose ring, and sometimes you don't. And so too with the boat. This knot that you attach it to the harbor with, sometimes you have that rope, sometimes you don't have that rope. So that's not a permanent knot. Ella kitra de zamama gufa ut istra gufa. No, we're actually speaking about the knot that makes the nose ring of the camel or the knot that makes the ring at the bow. I, what they used to do is take a cloth or, or rope and make a hole in the camel's nose and tie, uh, put the cloth through that and tie it making a ring. That's the ring we're talking about. That's permanent. Once you've tied it in the camel's nose, they would leave it there forever. Um, and similarly with the boat, they would tie a, rope, uh, a, uh, a loop of rope around by the bow and that loop of rope they would leave there forever. And then the, this, the knot that we suggest at first would be the, a, a string or a rope or something that you tied to that knot. That's the one that's not permanent. But this one, once you've tied it in, you'd leave it there forever. It's very functional. Says Rabbi Meir, Omer Kol Kesher. Rabbi Meir says, Boy, Rabbi Achtavui. Rabbi Meir says, if you can do it, undo it with one hand. It's not considered permanent. Says Rabbi Achtavui. I asked. Sorry, Boy, Rabbi Achtavui. Achmei de Maracha. Rabbi Achtavui, the brother of Maracha, asked. And Nivel Rabbi Meir, what would be the halacha according to Rabbi Meir regarding a bow? Time with Rabbi Meir, Mishum de Yochel Lahatiro Ba'achas Miyodov is the who v'hon nami yochel is the key point of Rabbi Meir is that it, are you able to undo it with one hand and a bow you can easily undo with one hand or maybe the reason behind Rabbi Meir is because it's not um, firm it's not a strong knot and a bow a well tied bow is a strong knot so what's the main reason behind it take when they leave it unresolved Okay, next Mishnah. This Mishnah really is a continuation of the of the following Mishnah. It says Yeshloch a very strong continuation. It says Yeshloch al Chorim Shein Chayovim Aleim Kekesher Hagmonim or Kekesher Asafonim. They're not that you are not Chayov on them like you Chayov for the camel's knot or the sailors camel driver's knot or sailors knot. Koysheres Ishem Avter Chaluka. A woman is allowed to tie her. The opening of her shirt. Either have the special shirt that seemed to have uh, strands here, and they would tie it to the opposite side of the shoulder um, to keep it closed. And also the savcha shall paskeya. Sorry, v'chute savcha the strings of her hairnet, v'shal paske and her girdle. Rashi says it was a, stri- a thick belt with strings that they would tie it closed. V'ritzuas minal v'sandal and shoelaces. Venoidas yain v'shemen and leather flasks. They had, one of the, the leather flasks used to end in a long spout, and they would just tie a knot in that spout so that the wine or oil doesn't. Noidas yain v'shemen wouldn't so that the oil wine and oil wouldn't fall out, uh, flow out. V'kadeira bosor shal bosor. Sometimes they used to tie the lid of a pot that they were cooking closed. You're also allowed to do that. 
You're also allowed to tie a string across a doorway so that an animal can't get out. Oh, you, have a, you have a fence around the paddock and then there's the opening so you just want to tie a string across a rope across the opening. Rebbe Lezim and Yaakov would hold you allowed to do that. Now the Gemara says, it says, you said you told me that they're not that you're not allowed to tie. For example, a camel driver's knot and the sorry that are not you're not hive on them like you hive for a camel driver's knot or a sailor's knot, which implies that you, it's not an isur but it is an isur and that's what's implied. That's Self-apparent. Again, the Mishnah came along and said, they're not that you're not chayav for like you chayav for the camel driver's not. Implying that, however you are chayav, there is an isudra bonnet. So he says, vaharatani. And then the Mishnah carries on and says, kosheres isha, a woman can tie, etc. It goes straight into, and kosheres means she can tie. Ay you can do it. Telling us that a woman can go ahead and tie it, which implies that there's not even Isudrabonin. So the Gemara answers, This is what it's saying. They're not that you're not high for tying them like you would be high for tying the camels. Uh, the camel driver's not or the sailor's not, or my nihu. What is this? Kitra, the kitri bazamama. This is the knot that you tie into the camel's nose ring. The kitra, the kitra, the istrida, and the knot that you would tie onto the ring of the boat. So, on, yeah, not the ring that you tie to the boat, but the ring that you, the knot that you tie onto that ring of the boat. You're not chayav ho isura ika, but there is an and then our Mishnah carries on. And then those knots that are 100% permitted to tie. And what are they? A woman's, a woman's allowed to tie the, her shirt closed and all the other items mentioned in the Mishnah. So just in summary from the above two Mishnahs. And there's a line missing from the Mishnah, but it's you have to analyze the Mishnahs and you'll fill it in yourself. But basically, there's permanent knot. And this is all according to Rashi. Rashi's A permanent knot that you would never ever untie. And that's the sort of knot that you tie it to the camel's nose. You take a, a piece of material, a string, and you tie it to the hole in the camel's nose. That you leave there forever. That's Isudoraisa. The next level down from that is these Isure Durabonon, which are... Um, things that are left, Rashi says, interestingly, sometimes you leave them one or two weeks. For example, this string that you tied to the ring in the camel's nose, that's not a permanent knot. It's not made to stay there forever, but sometimes it will be left there for a week or two. So that's the Isudra Bonan. Interestingly, they want to bring from there by the fact... Oh, yeah, and then the third level is... Uh, Things that are made to be tied and untied often. Like when a woman puts on her shirt, she's going to take it off when she changes. And when you tie your shoelace, you're going to undo it when you take your shoes off. Um, all these other examples were things that are made to be tied and untied. 
So just the main principle according to Rashi, and I'll try to give a summary of the other halachic opinions because we don't, we paskin, yeah, sorry. So the main principle according to Rashi is how permanent is it? doesn't really matter the type of knot. It has to do with how permanent it is. If it's a permanent knot that you've made to tie forever, then it is, um, then it's osidoraisa. If it's a knot that's tied to be untied shortly, it would be 100% permitted. So according to Rashi, strictly speaking, you can tie your shoelaces that you're going to untie when you get into bed that night, when you take your shoes off to get into bed. That knot you can tie however you like, any type of knot, no matter how permanent, because you're going to take it off. It's made to be tied and untied all the time. And in the middle of the range, which Rashi said a week or two, would be Osutrabonin. Interesting stuff, many want to learn from there. Oh, so what's considered a, a permanent knot? Or what would be considered a, te- sorry, what would be considered a temporary knot? Any knot you don't intend to keep for about a week. That's on the base Yosef actually paskins. Others argue and say, no, Rashi is just discussing what's the norm for a string tied in the camel. But really, what would be Osur? Um, but even if it's just for a day or two or something like that, it could be a isu, um, it could be a isu drabonin. But again, so, um, and now, we don't necessarily paskin like this, because there are other Rishonim who learn it totally different. Blinera, at the beginning of tomorrow's year, I'll uh, explain the sugi according to those uh, shittas. Let's leave it there for today. But just remember, according to Rashi, the primary factor to determine whether it will be Osud or Aiso or Mutar is... How long are you tying that? How long do you plan on leaving that knot in place? Okay, and we'll leave it there.